Hello everyone, I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. Welcome back to Cave of the Cross Apologetics, where we're uh, figuring out if we can find truth in this culture of doubt. <laughs> and uh, we're going over uh, chapter five now of uh, answering the question, are many New Testament documents forged? Yeah. And so uh, uh, Bart Ehrman has a, a number of uh, critiques here of pretty much how the Bible can't be what we think it is because of uh, certain characteristics of the authors or the alleged authors, right, yeah. uh, the time and place of which everything took place. And then still looking through the lens of Walter Bauer and his hypothesis that, uh, that uh, we uh, started or that we really Talked looked about, at in the yeah. last chapter, right. chapter four. So um, <coughs> if you haven't been there yet, uh, that was a, a good and fun chapter and something that needs to be responded to because that tends to be uh, because of, of um, the, the fame of, of, uh, Bart Ehrman, he's popularized the the Bauer hypothesis, right. and so uh, you kind of see a lot of that stuff out there in in the ether, if you will. And a lot of people <laughs> like Ehrman, so he'll be getting a lot of those talking points. And so uh, we're addressing five claims um, in this chapter. We're probably only going to get to two of them today, uh, and then uh, I'll force you to come back. That's that's your teaser that's to, right. to get the other that's one. So you're like, oh, I really wanted four. That's so right. unfortunately, the <laughs> next next one. So. Uh, so the, here, here are the, um, the, the claims addressed. The first one is that the New Testament Gospels are not historically reliable and are comparable to the various other heretical Gospels because they were not actually written by Jesus' companions. Mm. Mm, okay. Uh, second, that the first disciples were illiterate and therefore could not have written the parts of the New Testament attributed to them. That would make it hard if you can't write and yeah. you're saying or I'm reading this. Or whatever, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, the third one is that uh, many of the New Testament books were not really written by the authors to whom they have prescribed. And despite the internal claims of the books themselves, instead, they were forged. Forged. Yes. All right. Uh, the fourth one is other forms of Christianity are represented in various other writings, which have it as equally valid claim to Christianity as the 27 canonical New Testament books. So we talked about kind of the, the Gnostics out there and, and uh, different uh, groups and subgroups uh, vying for uh, kind of supremacy of, uh, of the, the Christian name, the, the, the ability to call themselves uh, fully Christian and uh, just the ones that we have won the day. And so, That's right. right. The, the, uh, the most powerful Right. Mm -hmm. took, took the cake. Right. Even though we don't quite see that in history, but okay. <laughs> uh, and our final one is that the proto-Orthodox, so before Orthodox uh, uh, version, uh, used the canon as a weapon to impose their own branch of theology on all forms of cre uh, Christianity and eventually succeeded in about the fourth century by way of the powerful church of this period. Hmm. So kind of getting into uh, where we... we us Protestants uh, kind of point to uh, the the Roman Catholic Church, not the full on version that we have today, but uh, definitely uh, that that's um, that's the, the 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 ability for Rome as the nation state to adopt Christianity, and uh, good old Constantine comes into play there, and that's right. different um, different uh, councils and whatnot. So um, so we'll look at those and um, and and see if uh, we have to throw away our Bibles because they're all forged. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I think mine has uh, an autograph copy. So. <laughs> well, surely that one then wasn't forged. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> so um, he begins this uh, particular chapter by, uh, you know, talking about this issue of forgery and bringing uh, the New Testament down, right? Uh, so they, they give us a kind of a, um, uh, an imaginary story. 
So they say, imagine 2,000 years from now, uh, someone visiting a library containing some ancient writings. He happens to stumble upon an entire section of books from the first part of the 21st century, all bearing the name of Bart Erdman. As he reads through the, uh, the, the collection of Ehrman's writings, he comes across some quotes that seem to be intention, right? So these quotes are, you know, their intention. For instance, he reads a passage Ehrman wrote in uh, 2009, right. and it says this. And so we have an answer to our ultimate question of why these Gospels are so different from one another. They were not written by Jesus's companion or by companions. They were written decades later by people who didn't know Jesus, who lived in a different country or different countries from Jesus. They are different from each other in part because they also didn't know each other. To some extent, they had different sources of information. All right. So what he's suggesting there is that, uh, you know, these, these, uh, th- these particular um, accounts written by different people in different places at a different time. You know, basically, it is, has nothing to do with what we th- how we think, right. generally, traditionally think that the Bible was put together, right? It may say John, but it really wasn't John mm-hmm. who wrote it, right? right? It may say Matthew, but it really wasn't Matthew who wrote it. It was somebody years later in a different country and that sort of thing. And so that's the claim that he's making in this particular passage of this book that he wrote in 2009, right? Right, right. in 2009, right. Yeah. On the other hand, these, these same uh, uh, people, uh, group that find Bart Ehrman's book, uh, and pick up another one. And this one is uh, uh, one published in 2011, just a couple of years after the previous quote, obviously. And he says this, he says, uh, if historians want to know what Jesus said and did, they are more or less constrained to use the New Testament Gospels as their principal sources. Let me explain that this is not for religious or theological reasons, for instance, that these and these alone can be trusted. It is for historical reasons, pure and simple. The only real sources available to historians interested in the life of Jesus are therefore the New Testament Gospels. What? So this <laughs> this is weird. This, so... You're, you're, the quote that you read says uh, we we can't trust these documents because they they don't they barely even know who Jesus is. They, right, they definitely right. didn't walk with them. Right. They didn't talk, talk with them. Yeah, these yeah. these are people out in the world, away from point A point 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 J of Jesus. By both time and geography, right? right. Yeah. But then a couple years later, he writes a book that says essentially, if you if you want to know about the historical Jesus, right. not not a, a, not this a imaginary theology, version. not religious, but a historical, right? right. The historical account of right. Jesus. You're, right? you're constrained by the gospel narratives because they're the clearest, best picture of who this historical Jesus is. And mind you, Barman has has rallied against uh, the Jesus mysticism, the, the belief that Jesus is this fictitious person or a collection of different uh, uh, dying messiahs or what have you. <laughs> he, he believes that Jesus is a real person who lived at the time that we kind of come right. to. To know and love, right? And so he's he's saying, uh, go to the sources, right? And the sources are the New Testament, right? right? The yeah. New Testament Gospels, and that's where the we'll find out who the historic Jesus is, right? So you know, so we got this fictitious man of the future, right? Two thousand years later, and what should the man of the future conclude from these two different statements, right? From Erdman, right? Well, he could conclude uh, several things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he could imagine the author changed his position along the way. 
Or he could presume that the author's position developed in a way that was not contradictory to its uh, initial position. Tries to tries to find a link to say one and then the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or he could um, assume he had yet, uh, you know, he hadn't fully grasped what Erdman was all about, what mm-hmm. his position is. So maybe he kind of misunderstood what er- Erdman was trying to say here, right? Or perhaps due to historical and cultural differences, you know, from the author, a failure to integrate correctly <laughs> all of his statements, you know, he kind of didn't get what he yeah. was, was trying to... I don't to, even know what those words mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, he the reader could simply assume one of the books was forged. Mm-hmm. One of them wasn't written by Ehrman. At least one. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, these are just some of the possibilities our authors tell us that would explain these two statements. The correct explanation for apparent tension is not the point. The point they're trying to make is that plenty of options account for this tension mm-hmm. between these two books that take seemingly contradictory you know, positions. Right. Forgery is only one possibility. Right. Right. And so obviously we're going to try and draw parallels to to Ehrman saying that these have to be forgeries. There's no other explanation to it. Right. And as as we've seen in the past, uh, presuppositions kind of get get in the way here. So if, if uh, the pattern Ehrman has set in evaluating New Testament authorship were adopted, the reader would wrongly conclude that choosing any option other than forgery is nothing but a biased attempt to reconcile these two contradictory statements, right? Because they are in contradiction. They do seem to be contradictional. Mm-hmm. And thus infer that Ehrman didn't really write one or both of the books. Maybe maybe he had ghostwriters out there that, that kind of knew what he was saying and so... So wrote on his behalf mm-hmm. and wanted to honor him, and one <laughs> one uh, you know put put the Bible out outside of uh, Jerusalem and and the, the the apostles, and one was like ah well we'll, we'll give the Christians yeah. a little bit of credit. Or, or so. you know this was again this guy's reading from a two thousand year perspective maybe. People years ago from a different country who never knew Erdman, <laughs> right. Right? right? Kind of put these two books together, right? right? And so, and so they were both forged. Yeah, right? surprised he could read. It's all emoji, that's right. text and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this example then illustrates that Erdman's unwarranted skepticism, mm-hmm. which consistently causes him to cry, forgery, <laughs> forgery, when other more likely explanations are available. So right. uh, again, it's it's one of those. Um, options that you kind of have to really prove uh, your point and we kind of do an internal and an external critique of 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 you know where the the new testament documents were written it's really hard i think uh once we see and 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 uh once the uh complete historical narrative is is played out that uh, it's really hard to say that these were all all forgeries. Yeah, yeah. So Urban's uh, argument that much of the New Testament was forged is part of his larger overall narrative where the, uh, you know, the canon of the New Testament is recast as a historical accident that could have easily featured some not so orthodox writings, mm-hmm. right? right. <laughs> Apocryphal. Yeah. Right? Gospel of Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, 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 Mary Magdalene wanting to be a man because that's right. that's that's, 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 the, that's the that's the best way to uh, to to uh, be close to God and <laughs> and all this stuff. Uh, the the giant talking cross is is in there too. It reaches the heaven and starts talking. Uh, yeah, all the, all the fun all the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in order, our, our authors tell us that in order to make such a case, he must demonstrate that uh, Christian heretical writings of the second and third centuries rival 
the historical credentials of the New Testament documents, right? In other words, he must somehow take these apocryphal writings that came later, and everybody uh, acknowledges they Mm -hmm. came later, right? And somehow say they are equal to what we have with regard to the New Testament documents, right? right? That's what he has to do in order to make this forgery kind of uh, case where the New Testament documents are no better or equally valid as these other documents, Mm -hmm. right? He he kind of has to do something like that. Right. And so uh, that, that's what we'll do. So instead of attempting to bring the uh, apocryphal writings up by arguing for the historical credentials, he brings the New Testament documents down, attempting to make their historical merits or demerits mm-hmm. uh, resemble these other writings. So, right. so he wants to kind of put them in the milieu of, instead of uh, kind of the Gnostics and, and these other um, potential Gospels or potential New Testament writings um, be of, of later importance or a later um, development from uh, the early New Testament church. He's he's wanting to say, oh, these documents that came uh, uh, 50 to 100 years uh, before are stuck in the muck in the same way that these ones are. And you have people kind of piecemealing and grabbing mm-hmm. at which ones they, they they view and they go out and then however you you suppress all the other ones and then make one the, the former one, which we do see in history and in, in other uh, capacities. I always talk about the Uthman revision of, of uh, Uthman uh, collecting all the different early versions of the Quran and, and, and saying, okay, here's the one authoritative version. Let's burn these other ones. Right. And so the, right. the, the um, historical and, and textual critique that you can do with the New Testament is lost through this this uh, revision. Right. So, so you make the New Testament documents as much as in the muck as the rest of them, right? right? You right. bring those documents down to the level of these other documents. Right. right? It's yeah. it's kind of a, a Rocky Six. Rocky's already <laughs> fought, you know, f- at least four different times. I don't really count Rocky Five as a Rocky, <laughs> but you, you you bring him out of retirement again, and you say you got to fight the best in the world now, and and hope he does just as well okay well it's already rocky six all right but rocky six is really good too <laughs> so so uh, thus uh, according to ehrman uh, jesus disciples were illiterate backward backwoods peasants you know these these uncultured swine <laughs> or uh, jewish versions of that the new testament writings were not written by jesus disciples or their associates much of the new testament was forged and even if the new testament were based on eyewitness testimony it can't be trusted because even eyewitnesses are biased all eyewitnesses are but especially these people that have a, a, a stake in it that believed maybe that jesus rose from the dead in some capacity and are church leaders at the, at the time. Yeah, so. so notice the rampant skepticism, right? Sure. I mean, it's, this could not be, you know, real, right? right. It seems like anything that's that's current orthodox, it's just, well, it's the opposite. Right, right? exactly, yeah, yeah. So um, in order to respond to these kinds of claims, then the, uh, the chapter that we are in um, has been divided into five portions, they tell us. Uh, the first three arguments respond to various reasons given by Erdman who contends that the New Testament lacks historical credentials and therefore can't be trusted. And then the next is a survey of 2nd and 3rd century and even later writings that Erdman uh, presents as virtually indistinguishable from the New Testament documents that are, they provide these. So this will be kind of an interesting, we get a, we get a peek here into some of these apocryphal uh, writings, right? right. We, they're they're going to parade them for us so that we can kind of look at them and say, okay, d- is this equal to the New Testament writings, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, so the, the, what they're going to do then, they're going to show that the evidence that uh, these later works do not contain anything close to the historical merits of the books of the New Testament. Right? So that's, that's what they're attempting to do when they do this second part. Right? right. Yeah. And again, put yourself in the shoes of, of, of the early church. Isn't if four gospels are good? Why not more? If, right. if if they're out there, wouldn't you want more? Wouldn't you want more stories? Wouldn't you want more guiding literature? Wouldn't you? The wouldn't more you, the better. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Uh, you know. Uh, obviously, you want to th- throw out your your um, second cousin's really bad uh, Christian fiction that has whatever version of the Amish uh, back then. You, you want to keep that out there. You want to placate them and say, okay, well, we'll print a couple copies for, for your mom and, and our family. But, uh, hey, uh, six, six more Gospels of? Great, let's let's include them. Why didn't they do that? Yeah. So, yeah. there we go. Uh, so, uh, dealing with um, the, 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 fi- the final response into uh, claim number five, that the canon turns out to be an expression of first century belief that God has spoken through Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of Old Testament promise of the Messiah. That's what they're, they're attempting to, to show with, um, with Ehrman's kind of a proto-Orthodox. Uh, um, the, the canon was this weapon that, that was used to, to divide. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. It was used to divide, for sure. <laughs> yes. It did divide, right. whether yeah. they intended it or not, right? right? Yeah. And so we have these basic responses that they, they want us to see in this particular chapter, right? Uh, you know, they're going to say that, uh, they're going to show that instead of what Ehrman suggests, that the New Testament lacks historical credentials, that in fa- and it can't be trusted, that in fact it has historical credentials and it can be trusted, right? And instead of saying that these other apocryphal writings are at the same standard and equivalent to the New Testament, they're going to show that they're way different and totally unequivalent to what mm-hmm. the New Testament has, right? Right. And then finally, you know, instead of, um, you know, the canon turns out to be an expression of, of, uh, of what other people thought, what these later people thought. No, actually it is uh, about Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the Old Testament mm-hmm. of Messiah. So that's where we're heading, right? And so the first claim then is this. It's, uh, he's, uh, they suggest this. The New Testament Gospels are not historically reliable and are comparable to the various other heretical Gospels because they were not actually written by Jesus's companions. Right. 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 So kind of the orthodox belief of Christianity is um, one of the, the, the ways that we can accept something as, as uh, part of the canon is that um, that uh, it was written by an apostle or someone that knew apostle. So uh, you can sneak sneak Mark in that way because he was um, a follower of both Paul and um, then uh, took the words of Peter, yeah. at least uh, uh, um, uh, historically within the church, this is the belief. Urban right. is going to try and get around that a little bit yeah. and set at the foot of Peter. And then Fred um, did it. Actually. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a different Mark, yeah. Mark and Mark. Uh, oh, and then the, the, the John of, of that time is not really the John that, that you're thinking of. It's a different John. So, um, so how do we, how, how's the, uh, the argument go in this one? So um, 
are they real or are they counterfeit? That, that's the, the, the question here for claim one. Mm-hmm. So much, much of uh, Ehrman's skepticism towards the New Testament Gospels is bound up in the distrust of the uh, Gospel authors themselves. He argues that uh, the tradition concerning their authorship arose in order to assure readers that they were written by eyewitnesses and associates of eyewitnesses. So kind of like, uh, here here's my version of the Gospel of, um, well, no one knows me, so who else can I do? Uh, Peter. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Right. Everyone knows Peter. Right. So let's make something up and right. then put Peter's name on it right. and say there. That's what we should be mm-hmm. following. That because Peter wrote it. And right? so that's why we have a gospel of Peter. Oh, well, we don't well, have. A yeah, gospel we of really Peter. don't. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to that one. We'll <laughs> yeah. get to that one. Uh, so he he argues that the tradition concerning um, their authorship arose in order to assure readers that they were written by eyewitnesses and associates of eyewitnesses. He then goes on to argue that uh, even if the Gospels were based on eyewitness testimony, oh, he's, he's doing us a favor and granting us that, yeah. that ability. Due to their bias, the reality is that eyewitnesses cannot be trusted to give historically accurate accounts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I tend to give Ehrman a, a lot of credit because he, he deserves a lot of credit. But this seems to be the... You can't have your cake and eat it too. Right, you know, right. this is this is. Uh, oh, these weren't even written by the eyewitnesses. But if they were, well, if they you, were, you can't trust. You, you can't eye- trust them because yeah. they were too biased. Too biased. Well, okay, yeah. which is the historical argument here? Right, or are you right. just gonna? Is it gonna make? Okay, well, if they were written by aliens who saw <laughs> Jesus resurrected, then it, it, you could probably their, birds, yeah. their bird's eye view perspective right. doesn't well, get them. Yeah. Uh, they don't understand the historical context. <laughs> I mean, how many variations of his argument is he going to do? Stick with the one that you subscribe to, the historical, whichever version of account. Either uh, the, the, these weren't written by eyewitnesses or associates, or they're too biased. Right. You know, which one are you going to pick? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he wants them both, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, our authors point out that his arguments has uh, have several problems, mm-hmm. right? First, he fails to explain why. If the church wanted to use early church figures to gain widespread acceptance for these documents, they chose Matthew, right, the tax collector, Mark, who, you know, uh, left Paul and Barnabas in the middle of of, of, of the, you know, uh, in Acts, yeah. in, in the it, middle it of split a, the dream team. Yeah. He split the dream team. Yeah, so he left them in this middle of the, while they were, you know, evangelizing across the, the world. And then later, you're right, he caused them to get into this huge argument. So, of course, that's the guy we want, right, <laughs> yeah, right. to add credibility. And then Luke, I mean, he he didn't, he wasn't even one of the... He uh, wasn't a Jew. Uh, yeah, he yeah. wasn't even a Jew, yeah. and he wasn't one of the apostles. Uh, uh, Right. So, uh, you know, these three rather obscure figures in the early Christianity, you know, why in the world would they choose these folks if they're trying to, you know, build up these documents as being authentic because they were written by, you know, these folks who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, were his apostles and that sort of thing. Right. 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 In other words, if all the early church did was assign names to the gospel documents in order to invest them with greater authority, it seems that they would have chosen authors who occupied more significant roles among Jesus's inner circle. Yeah, right? Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> just saying. If you're yeah. gonna get the get the guy who doubted and had to had to change the heart, or yeah, right. Why write Mark's name on it and not Peter's? Yeah, yeah. Unless there was already an assumption of who was doing what and uh, how how documents of the time back then were were signed and, and written and um, yeah uh, just the 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 
the historical explanations are are there. Yeah. If you want to be skeptical, that's that's there. But uh, you're you're having to prove your case, and uh, Ehrman's going to try and do that. But our yeah. authors are going to counterclaim it. Right. So that was the first claim. Uh, uh, not they're, they're not famous enough. That's the first. Claim. <laughs> yeah, that's the first problem that we have, right? With with this, you know, they they're not even. Uh, some of them are not even famous at all, right? right? At right. least you know, in terms of what we read in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So <laughs> why use these folks? <laughs> second, it is wrong to suppose that a person with a vested interest is necessarily an unreliable witness. Hmm. So uh, you know, you're you're a bank teller at a bank. It gets robbed. Uh, you're, you're handing over the cash and the, the, the guy beats feet out of there and the cops come up to you and go, Oh, uh, were you here at the time that the robber happens? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I was. And he, he stuck a gun in my face. I can tell you exactly where he was, uh, uh how tall he was, what gun he used. I, I, I saw this, this, some of the serial numbers from it. And, uh, when he was flipping open his wallet to pretend that he was giving me a bank slip, I saw part of his ID. And so I can, I think I can give you a, a good assessment. Hold on. Hold on, sir. You are you are way too close to the scene. You cannot give me an accurate description. You are too biased. You're too biased. You, you, you want revenge. Uh, you 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 want you want to keep your job so the, the bank stays uh, open. Uh, you know you you were in the heat of the moment and you want to be a hero. That's right. You're too biased. I'm too sorry. biased. Yeah, we, because we, you were too much a part of what was yeah, going on. We, you can't we, have we can't perspective on it. You have right? vested interest. In That's this. right. Yeah. And so even more so if you are going out of Judaism into this new cult Christianity, uh, if you're a leader of the church, if you are of the impression that God is going to save you from your sins, that you can reign with him in, in perpetual paradise for all eternity. And if you're being, you know, uh, persecuted for saying this, right? <laughs> right. Although that might work the other way. <laughs> and so Greek so and Roman... biased, right? <laughs> right. So Greek and Roman historians believed ideal eyewitnesses were participants in an event who were able to draw on their experience to interpret its significance mm-hmm. rather than dispassionate observers. And so, you know, the, 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 um, there, there are a number of podcasts out there that, that try and do this uh, uh, version. So you have um, um, uh, certain historical podcasts that uh, attempts to say, oh, what if I'm like the, a, a Martian and I'm coming in and I'm, I'm viewing this? Well, I'm, that that's that's good to try and get a dispassionate view because you can become too passionate. Right. You know, if, if you're talking about um, the start of World War II and you had uh, a family member die at Pearl Harbor, you might have an offset view of, well, well, maybe that was the best course of action for the Japanese to take. And so you might not be able to have a, a dispassionate view to, to assess that question. Right, right. But to say that, but, but eyewitnesses isn't—they're not giving usually an assessment. They're just telling what they saw, right? Right, and so you know. Now, can you be biased about what you what you've seen? I guess you can, mm-hmm. right? But uh, you know, um, generally speaking, we—who else would we talk with? Right, right, right. And so you might lose some of that historical, uh, or that that um, that cultural or. Or, um, well, why was he saying that? And so I'm going to tell you, well, I, I said, you, you are the Christ. And then I denied Jesus, his ability to, to carry out that function. He told me, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, let me go into an explanation why he, why he said that. So I'm going to provide you a, a, a very negative aspect to me 
to show exactly why he's responding. And so oh, I'm, I'm going to yeah, do that. So, yeah. so there, there's so a make yourself look dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, if, if you're in a battle and you're watching two sides fight each other and you're Cicero or whoever, and, and you, you want someone from the, uh, a point of view, that's the eyewitness that is able to, to, um, to be able to draw from not only their experience of this is why, why we did something because sometimes warfare is weird. And why, why, why did you pivot on the left side? Why not the right side? Mm -hmm. Why not go straight up the middle? Right. That person can give you that kind of uh, overview. And yeah. 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 So it's not, it, it, and it's really hard to find these dispassionate observers. You, it, you, you lose something in there. And so uh, if, if you're going to say that these men are, are from a cultural um, a viewpoint of, Greek and Roman historians, if, if they've been trained in the same way that um, 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 scribes and scholars uh, attempt to um, to take records, then um, this this comes about uh, this way. Uh, so Ehrman is uh, correct to argue that eyewitnesses don't always necessarily get things completely right. Right? We always use the example of the car crash or something happening really quickly. Oh, it was a green car. Oh, it was a red car. He was wearing right. a red jacket. He, right. he was wearing a red hat, not a red jacket. Come on now. <laughs> but if the Gospels are based on eyewitness testimony, it seems sensible to assume that eyewitnesses were passionate about making sure the events surrounding the life of Jesus were reported accurately. So I can tell you what, what it was like to, for my firstborn to be born. I was really passionate about it, but I wanted to be accurate because I want to tell you how interesting yeah. that was. To me, I mean, you might not find it interesting, but I find it super interesting. Yeah. And your bank teller <laughs> illustration, right? The the uh, clearly the bank teller can be passionate but still accurate, right? right? Because yeah. he wants to make sure that this gets told right, so this guy is put away. Yeah, right? doesn't happen again. Doesn't come back. Yeah, I can I can you know take him out and uh, put him in jail so he doesn't come back and take me out as a <laughs> as a, a eyewitness to his mob crime or whatever what whatever the the, the normal uh, story goes. Right. And so finally, Erdman er uh, fails to grapple with the important contributions in recent scholarship, right, which significantly challenged the belief that the Gospels were not based on eyewitness testimony. So what they do in this section in, in terms of answering this, this uh, you know, with this final point is they, uh, they kind of ex excerpt some of Richard uh, Bacham's book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Yeah, a right? really good book. Yeah. And in particular, Bachem here has set forth substantial evidence that the canonical Gospels are based on eyewitness testimony and thus can be trusted. Right. right? That's what Bachem tries to show. Right. So first, uh, Bachem uh, shows that in ancient Mediterranean times, historians relied as much as they could on eyewitness testimony. Uh, the opening four verses of Luke right, matched uh, established language used by historians of the day, and, the, and it shows that the, the care taken in the composition of the Gospels. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, second, while Ehrman uh, quickly dismisses uh, Papias, the pastor of the second century from whom we have testimony, and uh, it's, it's very important, and um, reading it, it's, it's well worth the time to, to kind of get that perspective, but uh, uh, Ehrman dismisses him. Uh, he dismisses him as unreliable and irrelevant to the discussion of the authorship. Uh, not, not really. <laughs> not really. Okay. Uh, but uh, Bacham traces out the evidence for uh, Papias's reliability and the implications of his uh, writings. He shows how Papias identifies three generations, mm. the eyewitnesses, the elders that sat at their feet, and the disciples of the elders. So those are the three kind of people that that um, that Papia shows here, and his claim is that when he was a young man in about uh, uh, eighty, uh, yeah, eighty, eighty, 
80 AD <laughs> or uh, after the common era. AD, I, think, AD. I, I think that's what, what the, the, the non, non-religious that's version right. says. At the latest, yeah, 80 AD, many members of these three generations were still alive, including the eyewitnesses. Why does, why does um, um, uh, Luke or, or John or Paul say, uh, here were the 12, here were the, the 60, here were the 500 Go and talk to them. Right, and many of them are still alive. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. This evidence points to the Gospels not being merely based on oral traditions passed down and altered during various stages of transmission, but on oral his- history communicated by eyewitness testimony. And and again, Luke is the best version of this. I am doing this as almost an outsider. Obviously, he's a Christian. Uh, he's following Paul in his travels for some of it. But he's saying, I'm going to interview certain people here. And so him starting with kind of uh, probably Mary's story shows that Mary was probably likely still around at this time. And, mm. and so mm. that puts it at an early point in, in history in, in the first century. Yeah. This isn't a second or third century where it's like, okay, what would have Mary said? That, that's when the song Mary, did you know comes out? Cause we don't know what Mary <laughs> knew right. cause we can't that's talk right. to her. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and it's so, uh, Bauckham here defends Papias, right? And thirdly, Bauckham argues that the names present in the Gospels themselves are meant to assure the readers of their accuracy, right? Now, this, now in a different way than Erdman claims, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he shows how throughout the Gospels, some figures are distinguished by use of their proper names, while others are left nameless. Mm-hmm. So some of the folks that are involved are nameless, right? And so he concludes that the names were meant to serve as living guarantors of the tradition. In particular, he notes the fascinating phenomena, our, our authors point out, that while typically the longer past a given event uh, uh, an account is written, right? So if it, was, if it happened a hundred years ago, right? Base versus if it happens one year ago, right? So the longer past a given event uh, an account is written, the less specificity we see in the Gospels, the opposite scenario, mm-hmm. right? So in the Gospels, what we see is the, uh, the further back it goes, at least let's take John, right? Because he, he's the, probably the latest mm-hmm. is what tradition has it. The more specificity we see in John, especially with some of these names, right? right? right. He tells us whose ear was taken off, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so those are, and that, that, that's not mentioned in any other gospel. He gives us a name right mm-hmm. there, right? And so this is kind of an odd, this is a opposite of what we would expect, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, or there are reasons for this. So, yeah. so uh, going back to John's gospel, which almost certainly was the last of the four canonical gospels written, records names of people in the gospel story, such as Lazarus, whom uh, Jesus raised from the dead, or um, Machias, Machias, yeah, Machias. Uh, yeah. My, my, my Greek uh, Roman soldier names are really <laughs> difficult here. He's the high priest servant whose ear Peter cut right, off at right. Jesus' rest. Why is it that contrary to what you would expect in the case of transmission of community tradition, you know, so I got to get this person's name in my head. And so I'm going to remember it and memorize it and tell it over and yeah. over again. And then over time, People are like, well, I don't care what what the soldier's name was that got his ear ripped off. Let's talk about the ear. Yeah. More, more ears for everyone. Let's include <laughs> more gospels, although we don't see that. Um, uh, so these names are not mentioned in the earlier gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially in Mark, where he, he 
you read it and it's almost like uh, some kind of people did some things here. Right, uh, right. He kind of almost one guy did this <laughs> obfuscates kind of on purpose. And yeah, so what, yeah. what's the reason for that? But then suddenly it pops up at a later point in time. That's that's odd. And why are you why are you trying to add more information that can go back and go? Well, that's not what Mark was talking about. What, right. What's going on here? Yeah. Bachman's answer is to protective anonymity here. So mm, mm. Uh, why, why were the, these people um, hush-hush about? Well, look at the people who are being involved. You have the rich with the slaves. You have the Romans with the Jews. You have uh, uh, people facing persecution versus people who are still serving their masters or working with the state. And so these people need to be protected because they could be uh, well, you know, Tony was the one that was there that <laughs> saw that uh, uh, Paul really smacked down the, the 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 Roman magistrate. So, okay, well, we need to take him in for questions yeah, so he doesn't yeah. tell about right, that. Right, right. So this protective an- just anonymity. Just say some guy. Right, right. <laughs> Talk about me in the Please, future. Yeah. just say some guy. <laughs> so this protective anonymity, by uh, which he means the practice of leaving the identity of the person concealed for protective purposes as long as he or she is still alive while revealing it once the person has died and is no longer the possible subject of persecution. So you say some guy until I die, then you can say Tony. Right, right. right. Or, or, or you're out of the country. Yeah. 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 yeah, so this is the idea of protective anonymity, mm-hmm. right? You, you don't give up the name, it seems anyway, is what, the, what uh, we see here, until after the person is out of harm's way, right, after they've died and passed on and that sort of thing. And now you can say who the person was. So mm-hmm. this is kind of an interesting thing here. Uh, fourth, in response to those who claim primitive societies cannot distinguish between myth and history, right, I mean, because they're primitive. Bakum <laughs> <Right. Ugh. laughs> surveys uh, work in the field of oral traditions in primitive African cultures. Uh, his survey concludes that fictional and historical stories are clearly distinguishable and that primitive societies uh, take much greater care to preserve historical accounts, Mm. right? So just because, you know, they're primitive doesn't mean, if I may say, they're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're able to be here because they were there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, really. Uh, And finally, Bauckham explores studies in the field of uh, uh, psychology and uh, specifically about the nature and reliability of memory, uh, which Bart Ehrman has uh, kind of more recently attacked in some of his other books. Uh, But uh, Bauckham here, uh, marks of marks of eyewitness testimony in the Gospels include vividness. Uh, excess detail, vantage points, and perspectives. And so, when we talked to uh, Liddy McGrew about um, the the um, the um, uh, coincidences, right. the the uh, you know yeah alleged uh, coincidences here, uh, this is what um, would fit in in this uh, in this um, uh, period. Uh, these features stand in stark contrast to fictional accounts of the time. Bauckham demonstrates there is good warrant for taking each of the four canonical Gospels as offering different perspectives on history. Mm. That's exactly what you would see in eyewitnesses. Right. So, uh, you know, other than by quick dismissal, Papias Erdman never engages or even footnotes these types of arguments made by scholars concerning the eyewitness testimony of the Gospels in any of his popular works, right? Uh, This lack of engagement, our authors tell us, uh, with opposing views in Erdman's works can result in a kind of academic bullying. 
<laughs> Lay readers are backed into a corner with nowhere to turn because, according to Erdman, all good scholarship agrees with him, mm-hmm. right? However, um, uh, this, you know, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by Bacham mm-hmm. is just one example among many that prove Erdman is uh, not giving the complete picture of what some of the best contemporary scholarship, not necessarily evangelical, uh, is saying right. or has to say mm-hmm. on these particular issues, right? Right. And so again, we this is a um, a criticism of Erdman that we saw earlier, mm-hmm. right? That he's he's not engaging in the folks that are scholars who disagree with him, or at least he's not engaging very deeply, right? right? Uh, again, Bacham's work was written three or four years before Herman's book, right? And so it was available and it was out there. And one would, if you're doing a scholarly work, one would expect that you engage with folks who don't agree with you and show where they went wrong. Right. right? Especially if you're, you're going through and you're trying to kind of upend what has been established or what we, at least what we thought had been established um, beforehand. So you want to kind of interact with the best work out there, but unfortunately because of how, uh, scholarship has gone. It seems to be more of a uh, cast away everything and build up from a, a Descartian view <laughs> viewpoint. And, you know, uh, skepticism is, is the, the area of the day, except don't be skeptical of your own That's theories right. and conclusions That's as right. we, we see from uh, uh, Skepti- mixed It's okay notes. to be skeptic about everybody else's stuff. Right, right. yeah. yeah. Th- those people are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think we'll end here. Uh, unfortunately, I uh, was a liar and I'll ask, ask for <laughs> same, forgiveness. Same, same. Uh, we only made it through the first one. Um, but um, uh, probably going over the next two is, is, a, is a good set and then the, the final two after that uh, yeah. will we'll be there. So... Uh, stay with us. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed this. And um, uh, thanks for uh, um, those people that uh, keep uh, uh, messaging me and saying uh, that the Gnostics have uh, helped influence Christianity. So I have to go over and read more Gnostic stuff. So um, <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the challenge. And uh, so if uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, we, we've, we're past uh, 1,500 subscribers on YouTube. You don't always have to watch us. And so we appreciate even the uh, audio downloads. And so um, just tell somebody about it. Uh, like, share, subscribe, all those things that I'm supposed to tell you to do to <laughs> let the, the algorithm do its thing, and, right. uh, and uh, you can help us out there as well. Right, the biggest thing is, if, if you really liked it, give it a like, because that causes the the it algorithm of, uh, of YouTube to spread this out yeah. to more people, right? Create yeah. more accounts, and then just like it. Yeah. You don't even have to go back to it, but yeah. just, you know, <laughs> cycle through. It's, it's very easy to switch accounts now. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time to finish up Chapter 5. See you next time.